Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we are going to wrap up the Oscar ceremony, talk about the final episode of The Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we have director Carrie Scogland joining the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 162 of Real Blend, a podcast that probably has just as many viewers as the Academy Awards. Oh. My name is Sean O'Connell, <laughs> the managing director here at Cinema Blend, uh, getting you ready for a very exciting show. I know that, that it's late great. in the week and people don't care uh, quite as much anymore, but we're going to break down the 2021 award season and the Oscar winners. We're going to have our final thoughts on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, season one, and then we also have the Falcon and Winter Soldier director, Hari Skog- Skogland, excuse me, who is joining us for the show for this week's interview. Uh, and by us, I mean Kev McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev. Hey, guys. Fresh off my second vaccine shot, so this should Congratulations, be Congratulations, sir. This could be Thank wild. you, guys. <laughs> uh, and, uh... Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm actually, today is two weeks since my second shot. So today I am technically, by the books, officially vaccinated. So yeah, I, So and my, and my second shot was today, literally two, uh, an hour and a half ago. I got Pfizer. So uh, we'll see. Again, I don't feel anything yet. I'm interested to see kind of, um, I know the second shot people are, have been saying they I feel I got really tired. Bit, yeah. I felt actually felt better after the second one than I did the first one. You're not better than us, Sean. <laughs> I am most slightly. I mean, that's what this what proves it essentially. Um, this week's show. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Uh, take a look at these handsome faces right before you. Uh, while you're here on the YouTube page, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. If you are listening to us where you get your podcast needs met, we have a lot of information in the description, including where you can sign up for. Real Blend Premium, which is a very fun show that we like to do on Mondays. Premium. This show goes off the rails. You gotta listen to a premium episode premium. Uh, because they get out of control. Uh, we Last also week dropped was crazy. a bonus episode that you can go back and watch uh, with director Ben Chirac, who has a dry indie comedy out called Limbo, which we're going to talk about in this week's reviews section. And um, it contended for two BAFTAs, even though it was his uh, his feature film debut. Um one of the more recent interviews we have up on the YouTube channel as well, too, or you can listen to it in full uh, as part of a podcast episode is director Simon McCoy, 
who directed uh, Mortal Kombat, and that's available on uh, HBO Max. That's what I was trying to say. And also in theaters, if you feel like going to the theaters. Uh, and coming out on Disney Plus was the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So this week's weekly poll, as we transition over to that, was now that we've seen all six episodes of the show, and Jake, I'm going to throw this one to you. I asked the fans, was the first weekend of uh, the first season of the Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, here are your three options. Oh, I'm sorry, I gave you four options. Was it awesome, decent, disappointing, or terrible? Those are your four options. Uh, before I ask you your pick for those, what do you think the Real Blend audience went with? I'm going to assume that the audience kind of felt like I did because I didn't, I don't feel like I saw a massive amount of, oh my God, that was amazing. Mm. In the same way that I don't feel like I saw a massive amount of, oh my God, that was terrible. So I'm going to lean toward decent in terms okay. of what they said, which is also what I think I would have voted as well if I were to have voted. That came in second place with 36% of the votes. 48% of the people who voted said awesome. So did, did, were they confused by the question? No, 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 no. <clears throat> they, they honestly felt that it was awesome. That it was awesome. Wait, we're talking Falcon and Winter Soldier? We're going to get into our breakdown of Falcon and Winter Soldier next. Kev, where would you go of those four yourself personally? Awesome, decent, disappointing, and terrible. Right in between decent and disappointing, probably. But like, I mean, I, I think there's enough good in the show that I would probably uh, pivot a little more towards the decent column if i was voting for this um it's definitely that's, yeah that's my new favorite kevin mccarthy face where he's like looking up and and trying to decide how mean he wants to be like that's, yeah. that's my that's my new favorite kevin mccarthy face yeah i was just giving you guys some breadcrumbs and not the whole bakery just to we'll leave it at that <laughs> all right well listen that's that's my Mortal combat reference now that we've got you really hyped for our interview with uh kari uh <laughs> this is uh the director of the first season of the falcon and the winter so this is actually a really informative conversation where we get into such things as whether she would direct captain america 4 uh the way that the show approached uh the race discussion uh kevin asked a really great um question about the physics of the shield and how they replicate that on set uh, you know, a typical Real Blend interview. So without further ado, uh, the Real Blend interview with Kari Skoglund. Skoglund? Why I keep messing that up? I'm so sorry. Uh, the director of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. So once the season played out and everybody saw the full vision of what you guys were trying to accomplish, there was a lot of talk about some changes that might have had to occur to the storyline because of the way that you guys shut down production temporarily. So I'm wondering if you could just clarify uh, and maybe elaborate on how the pandemic affected the overall uh, season one story, if it affected it at all. Actually, no, it didn't affect it. We always were telling the story we were telling. Um, I think what it did was make it more relevant as social unrest sort of took um, its, you know, uh, became so obvious um, and so such a necessary evolution of what was happening around us alongside the, the political, uh, you know, extremes that we were watching. Uh, it just was more, made our story more, rel more, you know, we were surprised, honestly, that we were telling, we had sort of been prescient and that we were telling this story and all of a sudden life was imitating art. What we did do was, I think, sharpen our pencil a little bit and go, okay, uh, the you know, let's make sure that we are uh, pushing the envelope as far as we can. And so I think that's the only way it affected. But we never pivoted on story or even on character story. So these were always the 
this was always what we were telling, which is why I thought from the very beginning, it was the most, when I first went in and talked to the, the, the gang at Marvel, I said, this is the most important story of the century. And I firmly, I still believe that. Yeah. You know, I, I found it really interesting because you're basically dealing with like a six hour movie, essentially all put together. I'm actually genuinely interested to know uh, when you're filming the series, do you know when you're filming a cliffhanger to an episode? For example, at like the end of episode five, when he opens up the case and obviously he's seeing the, the suit and the costume, does it is do, does Mackie know at that point that's a cliffhanger? Do you know that's a cliffhanger at that point? Or is it kind of like edited along the way? Well, you know what you intended. So script wise, you know, there's, in the process of any creative uh, endeavor, you start out with a plan and then you hope that through the process, you will abandon your plan because you've come up with a better plan, <laughs> uh, right? And so, and you've been inspired by events that happen, um, yeah, whether yeah. they be character driven or whether they be, um, you know, something that that uh, happened on set, or, you know, or an idea that occurs. So yes, you bake in certain certain um, ideas that could work, uh, but then you are ready to abandon them as you shuffle the deck later. So I would say very few of what we planned to be cliffhangers ended up being the cliffhanger. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, do you mind elaborating on that episode five cliffhanger though, specifically? Like, like, like I would love to, like, that's a big cliffhanger at the end of episode five. Like, like the, the, was that always original or did that come through the edit? I think it came uh, through once we saw all, all six mm. um, and we, because at that point, um, and by the way, it's also informed a little bit by some of the footage you have, because um, you know when you when you're writing it, you don't have so. For example, at the the uh, GRC of it, you know, and the lights go out. Hmm. Um, that that could that you know that could have happened in a couple of different places, and so and so where you know where were we going to put that, or we began it in one and then finished it in the other, and so. Uh, because we shot it like a movie and we had it like if you play it like a movie it mm. functions as that so then it's kind of you 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 put it together like that and then you go oh where are the inter what, you know that would be a great place to go <laughs> and that would be a great place to go you know and so you allow that process to to take hold and um so i don't i can't even remember what our original cliffhanger was um but yeah, I can't remember, but uh, it, that became very obvious that that was going to be the perfect, the perfect moment. And, you know, just Mackie's face where he's yeah. really processing, uh, because we actually shot that very early on. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was way, it, it, we sh it, like, because you shoot out of order. Yeah. So, right. So that was well, probably within the first three weeks. And in Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and within that moment, though, I think we all knew by virtue of the opening of the box, the Pandora's box, so-called, um, <laughs> that uh, we were making something special. It was a very, it was a very, um, ex I would say, not just thrilling, but emotionally charged moment to know he was opening the box, like, because we knew, we knew he was going to take on the shield or, or take mm. on the the costume but we wanted to to draw that out and and take it uh, make it a conversation make it a debate should he or shouldn't he 
mm-hmm. but we knew that the at the end of it, of course, he was going to take it on. My so, mental you know. uh, clock at that point of that episode told me I had 15 minutes left to go. Uh, and so when you cut to black, I screamed out loud in pain, like physical pain, <laughs> that you were ending the episode at that point. So nice. if that was your desired effect, you hit it. Right. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> uh, Corey, speaking of, of, of cliffhangers, I want to I talk about the, the uh, final scene, the final moment of episode four. Um, you got what I think is one of the greatest shots in the history of the MCU, which is Wyatt Russell standing with blood on the shield. I mean, like, I, you could frame that and put it above my fireplace. I'd have to answer some questions about it, but I still think it's just a gorgeous shot. Uh, I'm just curious about filming that scene. Uh, if, if, I, I feel like we just haven't seen a scene that brutal in the MCU before. I'm sort of curious uh, if you got notes from Marvel about how brutal you could go, how much blood there could be on the shield or flying. And then also, we never truly get to see what he does to this guy, I mean, does he cut his head off with the shield? Like, what what did you intend for him to actually be doing with that shield? Uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, he does, um, but it's all in the imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've worked a lot in the violent space, and you'll notice we did not use guns. Yeah, that was a, that was a decision. Okay, so th- there's very very little gunfire. Um, for obvious reasons. Uh, so, um, you know, so each, each action sequence was a challenge, but we knew that this, because the conversation we were having is the relevance of the shield. What is a hero today? Who gets to carry that shield and become the hero? What is a hero? What's the, the, the inner workings of a hero today? If it started as a, as a, as a soldier warrior, which was born of the anti-fascist, um, struggle. Then we had 9-11. And so now we had a, uh, a new kind of hero, which was the first responder. And mm-hmm. then, you know, fold into the pandemic and, and other, you know, other events. And it is frontline worker. So the, the idea of a hero is much expanded. And Sam is not a super soldier. So um, even more important, uh, because now even elitism is taken off the table. As, as part of the he, he, the hero ideal. Mm. So um, that scene had to have blood on the shield. And of course, I've done some very brutal work. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Vikings Blood Eagle or, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Walking Dead or, you know, any other thing. Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's yeah. Tale, you know, like. Yeah. I, I, You're I, not I, squeamish. <laughs> not squeamish. Um, so, uh, and neither were they. I mean, it was really important that we um, push the envelope on that scene. But I also felt less is more. Leaving it to your imagination was as Mm. important as just seeing the stain of blood. And, you know, that moment where Sam wipes some of the blood off because he ultimately loves that shield. Mm. And, you know, it's a metaphor for the American flag. So this is really a a very strong, these are very strong, emotionally charged images that we we i think need to look at right uh from a metaphorical space so um uh we decided uh you know in terms of how much blood yes there's a lot of conversation um because you wanted it to be just enough not too much um you're not showboating you've just done something completely heinous with this shield which it's going to have to recover from um, you know, and so, you know, 
part of me could be bloodthirsty and I, I could put blood all over it, but it wanted to be just the right amount. So, so we very, there was a lot of, we were very conscious about it is what I want to say. It was very chosen. And I think we got it right. Uh, so, you know, and just enough blood, even, even in the indication of what happened, it became a bit more in his head because I wanted it to be not one brutal action, but a, a ballet of it, you know, so it became um, extraordinary. We didn't really know what we were seeing because he's out of his mind in that moment. So I wanted to experience that with him. And then he comes back to it and he's sort of, you know, shakes his head and kind of goes, whoa, what just happened? That's what I wanted us to. And so I wanted us to feel that alongside him, which made it experiential as compared mm -hmm. to observant. And following up really quick on what Jake was just bringing up about the blood on the, on the shield, and I was just interested in the first thought that came to mind after that scene happened was what would Steve Rogers think about this moment? Like, what would the character of Steve Rogers have thought that his with his shield being used? Is that something that you intended? Like, for me as an audience member, that's kind of like, I was like, what would he feel about how where the shield is being used right now? Well, I hope he'd feel, um, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't think like that um mm -hmm. because uh he was not there he didn't understand the he, he the shield means yeah the context because the shield means something different to everyone not only you know audience members are uh, the shield means something each of our characters the shield meant something that was a that was very much a conversation we were having it the shield meant something to carly the shield meant something to to sam obviously to bucky um uh to isaiah who said no self-respecting black man's going to pick that up you know, and to um, to uh, everybody had a pers has a perspective on what that shield means to them. So um, in the case of um, Cap, I would say uh, had he known the whole story, he would have been as gobsmacked as mm -hmm. Sam and Bucky and probably had the same reaction. You cannot carry that shield. It cannot become a, a, a weapon of destruction. It, it mm. has to be a weapon of, or it has to not be a weapon. It has to be an instrument to save people, an instrument mm -hmm. to help. Uh, Kari, uh, Kevin indirectly feeds me into my next question, which is that you have a character um, who casts a massive shadow over almost every decision made, you know, for the benefit of the show. Uh, and that's Steve Rogers. And it's a character you can't even use. You know, he's not even on the table for you uh, necessarily. Um, but you know that Marvel fans are, you know, sticklers for details and, and continuity and all these things that we look for. So the minute you make a joke about where is he even, you know, we start bringing up those questions. So um, where do you think he is uh, and, and where did the, the moon conspiracy theory uh, stem from? Oh, you mean he's not on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, tell me. He's in Dr. Manhattan. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, so you're potentially feeding into the rumor that he's <laughs> living on the moon. I don't know. That's what I heard. Oh. All right. We'll roll with that then. <laughs> Sounds good. Kevin Feige is like <laughs> pop popping out in the background. He's like, don't say anything else. Don't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> the bolt of lightning. He's got a button. <laughs> 
You know, Kari, the, the Zemo dance became a big uh, social media thing. And, and one of the cool things about it was in, in your show, it's a quick moment. Then they released the Zemo cut of the dance. Um, so we're just wondering, like, the the timeline of that. Did you originally intend to have the full dance in the episode? Why did it get cut? And and was it ready to go edited? Is that why you put it out later on? Like, what, What's the story behind that? That was a total lovely surprise. No, we, uh, the, you know, the them going to that nightclub, uh, from the beginning, I wanted to find a space where they could go and we could just see them as characters, right? Just have downtime with them. Um, and it, because I, I was also diving into Zemo's character a little bit in terms of humanizing him and, and understanding where he was coming from, that he wasn't just a black and white evil guy. And so um, the three of them together, you know, the, the um, three musketeers of it, I suppose, um, on their little adventure um, gave us that opportunity to see them as just regular guys. And then even more so in a regular environment where, you know, there's dancing and there's this kind of weird art thing going on. And uh, we found this great nightclub that Ray Chan, our uh, production designer, did an amazing job of turning into this crazy space. And, um, uh, you know, I, I put up big... Um, uh, screens so that we had that sort of otherworldly reflections going everywhere. Um, and it made it into this just hip nightclub. So anyway, we did a bit of uh, the guys just being the guys. Now, when the three of them are together, just as people, they are dead funny. They riff on <laughs> each other. And what people don't know about Daniel Brühl is he is a, he, the funniest of all of them. You know, <laughs> he came up with that line, which I'm surprised nobody else is in trouble. Right. I thought that was a great one. That was him just you know, being Daniel uh, in the ad lib of it in the moment. So anyway, they were just we were just having a good time because this was sort of a fun moment in the show. And there were you know, we didn't have the stress of the having to kill someone or, you know, deal with all that. So he just yeah. was like bopping away. And the two, I mean, you know, there's just some wonderful moments. Uh, they were doing shots together, not real shots, of course, and movie shots, but. Um, which didn't quite make it in, but uh, no, he did that little dance. And then I think he mentioned it in an interview. Yeah. And that's where that came from. So to Marvel's credit, they went back into the footage and, and found all the other, all the, the outs, uh, you know. The <laughs> but so, so, so the dance he's doing in that scene was, was improv or did you say, Daniel, just do this dance? Total improv. Wow. Oh, wow. That's okay. Dan being Daniel. That was him just going, <laughs> you know, because the music was great, right? And yeah, I, yeah. I was playing it for hours. I mean, to get all that footage, you know, you're obviously doing a scene and doing it again to, and you have to do it to the same beat. So we, we I found a tune that, that would work for it. And so that went on for, so I guess at one point he got a little bit bored. And so he just started. <laughs> <laughs> and a viral wow. moment was born. And wow. a viral moment was born. How, but how great is that yeah. for Zemo yeah. of all people? <laughs> I hope Quentin Tarantino's proud because he put Brew yeah, on right. the map for all of us. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, we've had the, the pleasure of, of speaking with Marvel directors before, and we, we've heard an interesting story that happens oftentimes, which is uh, if as they're planning out what they're going to do and the effects it's going to have on the MCU, there will be moments where Kevin Feige will pop his head in and go, hey, that thing you're going to do, you can't do that because it kind of conflicts with what we have planned down the road or like we're planning on doing that so you can't do it in your project. So with that in mind, I'm sort of curious how far in advance 
do you know what Marvel's plans are, if only so that what you were doing didn't conflict or step on the toes of a movie that's going to be happening a year from now or five years from now? I didn't have that experience, so I can't, mm-hmm. I can't really answer that. Uh, we were in our own space, mm-hmm. uh, inventing a, a, you know, a story that had its own beginning, middle, and end. Uh, so no, at no point did anyone say you can or can't do anything. Uh, I had the opposite experience, which was, uh, sure, go, try it, make it yours, have fun. Wow. So, so if you wanted, like, Evan, if, yeah, if you wanted Evans to show up, could you have done that? Oh, that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I never asked that question, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, but then, I, I, would, I would not know that, but I don't think so. <laughs> but, but to that end, there there are certain things that had to happen by the end of this series. And, you know, we can talk openly about it because it's out there now and Things like, you know, John Walker had to become U.S. agent and and team with Val uh, and Sharon had to be placed where she was and, you know, where she ends up. So in a way, is there an element of a show like this that almost has to be reverse engineered that, you know, that like certain people have to get to certain places and you have to figure out how to get them there? Hmm. Well, yeah, but that's part of the storytelling anyway. Right. You know that he's going to pick up the shield. We knew Mm -hmm. he was going to pick up the shield. There was no question he was that was ever not going to happen. Um, we had to get there. We had to, we had to make that the conversation of the through line, not only from a character space, but from a plot place. So yes, there's a, of course, in any storytelling, there's reverse engineering. Um, we knew uh, Sharon was going to be the power broker. So mm-hmm. how, do, how do you reveal that? You know, how do you dribble that out? And, and that comes back to seeing the whole edit, um, you know, the six hours of it and, and, once you've got all that footage, because sometimes you're overcompensating and, you know, you, you discover, oh, wow, we said that four times. Oh, you know, interesting. We say that four times now that we see it all together, oh. you oh. know, because you write a scene and then you write another scene and then you rewrite a scene. And, and you, you know, then you also, by the way, as you're editing, like any movie, you um, move things around. So a scene that was in episode one might have ended up in episode two and, you know, and back and forth. So then you realize, oh, I, we've we've hammered that too hard or or uh, we haven't mentioned that enough or uh, whatever. So you get to now look at all six and uh, like you would a movie and go, all right, actually, you know, we can we can hold back that little that little piece of information or we need to add that so that it adds up later. So, yes, there's constant reverse engineering or forward thinking and juggling. I would say gotcha. all in the same sentence. Gotcha. The the effects on the shield are unbelievable to me. Like uh, there's a, the, the I guess I'll, I'll use the tree scenes. I think that's one of the coolest like sequences. And also there's another great scene, I think where he throws it like a, at a pier, like a wooden, like the piece of the pier and it bounces back to him. How much of that is practically there for them on set? Because at some point when you're dealing with CGI, it's almost impossible to make it look like they're really catching something or, or throwing something. So. In the throwing and the catching, especially if you have it in one shot specifically, are, are they given anything to throw or catch so you can make it feel like they're weighted? I was wondering how you did that. You know, it's a real it's a real art, honestly. Of and it's a dance between, as you said, a live a live um, thing, a piece, something so that does have weight to it, and something uh, that is going to be added. So it's testimony to the whole VFX process. And the guys really rehearse with um, the the body language. It's as much an action sequence 
as any any um, fight yeah. sequence or you know so it's all very well planned um, and what we did have fun with which I can <laughs> I can tell um, so one of the the uh, for me the shot of the shield hitting the tree that I wanted I mean that's very metaphorical right it's hitting mm-hmm. the tree of change or whatever you want to call it and I wanted to kind of shake the, the roots and Anyway, so we do this shot and everyone is loving it. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, this is going to work really well. And then we realize, okay, we're going to do this sort of football, you know, throwing the football back and forth and, you know, they'll bounce it off of trees. And then we go, yeah, so they're going to ruin all the trees. Like, how are we going to do that? Like, we, so, <laughs> well, we're going to have to make it that, that, that you know, the, the, this opening, this, opening idea to the whole shield hitting trees and bouncing, you know, deflecting off things. We're going to have to protect all the trees. So that's why they're all wrapped in, um, oh, the, you know, like the, a cushion. Yeah. Like the a cushion. Cushion. And the, yeah, the, the workout okay, tackle dummy on a football. Yeah, field. So that, you know, we don't destroy the trees with the shield. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really funny because as an audience member, I just assume they did it for the, for the purpose of the series where like they were just using it for the bouncing aspect. That's the way I took it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool to know. Like you the did idea it. behind it was to protect the trees because the shield huh. is so powerful that it would just <laughs> embed itself in the, you know, and it would hurt the trunks. So we couldn't that's be cool. destroying all these trees. That would be, that wouldn't be. And the trees appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> you should have said no trees were harmed in the process of filming this episode. <laughs> um, Car, you know, I think uh, more so than any other project in the MCU, you guys uh, really handle the topic of race uh, very well. Um, I, whenever you guys did the the scene with the police officers uh, where they're asking Bucky, is this man bothering you? I thought I've never seen a scene like this in the MCU before. Um, I was wondering at what point in the conversation of, of making this show uh, was the topic of race brought up and, and, and how you guys made sure that it was handled well, it was approached, it was approached delicately, um, but, you know, not glossed over because this is, you know, like because a superhero project like you guys handled it like any other drama would. I think from the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obviously in the writer's room, um, Malcolm Spellman was very aware. We were all very aware of the story we were telling. This was a race related story. A black man was going to pick up the shield mm-hmm. and um, to, to Marvel's credit, they wanted to push the envelope. They wanted to have that conversation. They wanted to dip into the topic. Um, and I think it's uh, obviously a very relevant and, and uh, this is an ongoing topic. This is not something that is new. The same conversation has been happening annually. So, you know, yes, right now, I hope that we are part of the change that we, no one can ever do enough at at this point, you know, to, Mm. to, it seems like it's, but if we've moved the needle at all of awareness, um, then we've done what we set out to do. But uh, no, this was always very, very important to not just this project, but to, I think, you know, the, the whole conversation of diversity um, at the MCU and the continuing objective to to embrace diversity. Uh, Kari, Joe, and Anthony Russo went from television to the films, uh, and Cap was their baby for four films. Uh, on the heels of your series wrapping up, Captain America 4 gets announced, and so I'm curious if the gig were to be offered to you, would you want to do it? Or do you like the sort of longer-form storytelling of, of series television? I think if uh, Marvel called me to do anything, if they called me to film the phone book, I would do it. 
<laughs> you do you have an attachment? Too. Do you have an attachment to these characters? Do you feel like you want to continue with them on their journey? You know, listen, the, the Marvel characters are all very, very rich. Um, I've become friends with Anthony and, and Sebastian, and I really enjoyed working with them. Um, and Emily and, and Daniel Bruhl. And I mean, you know, you, I've worked with them for a couple of years. So, of course, um, I have, a, a, you know, a, a special place in my heart. Um, but as I said, uh, if, if Kevin picked up the phone, I would answer it. I would tell you, know, Kari, um, the, the moment in episode six, when we finally see Anthony in the full everything, mean, that, that moment when he bursts through the window and then you get that hero, excuse me, that hero reveal shot. What was that like to film? What was that moment like on set that day? Uh, it must have been really exciting just to get that shot. Was it was it? Did you get it in the first take? I mean, it's a really it's almost as, as cool as, you know, I just love that shot. I wanted to ask you just the moment of filming that. I thrilled you. Yeah, we. You know, we had a lot of conversation about how best to first reveal um, the moment that he, you know, we see, we see him in the suit. Um, and uh, we wanted to tease it a little bit by seeing him in the air, but too small to really, you know. I like the tease. That was, I, I like, I was like, oh, she is, I, I, I appreciated that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I like that, sorry. I'm a big fan of big entrances, you know, and unusual entrances. So. Uh, I wanted it to have impact. So what better way than to crash through a window? I mean, I just I couldn't think of it. And so, uh, you know, but it was all, it had to be woven into an opening that, that made sense of it. Um, and so uh, it, there was a lot of discussion. And of course we storyboard everything and we make sure that we, everyone is a, making the same movie because uh, there's a lot of moving parts, not just, you know, it's all, you know, not just a top, but, but just the mechanics of making something happen. Because obviously something like that, we were in a real building. Um, you know, he couldn't come through the real window because we were uh, 30, 40 stories up. Uh, you know, right? So there's, there was a whole orchestra of, of how to achieve it. Um, but it was great. And, uh, uh, you know, so yes, we, we were, um, yeah, all of us in the moment. Yeah. Uh, just, it, it, you know, breathtaking. And you realize, because you realize we had, you know, you start getting comfortable seeing him in the suit because we'd seen him, you know, we were shooting out of order. But when you, when mm. it dawns on you in the moment, oh, this is the first time the audience is going to see this. Yep. This is the first moment. Then all of a sudden, you know, it, it, uh, it's <laughs> breathtaking. That's awesome. Well, we're awesome. out of time. We really appreciate you joining the Roblin podcast. Uh, this was a lot of fun to break this down with you. And uh, congratulations. Continued success. Thank you, guys. Thank you so Thanks, much. Sorry. <laughs> All right, we want to thank Kari and Marvel and Disney Plus and everyone over there who gave us time to discuss the Falcon and Winter Soldier. We definitely want to get into our breakdown of the season in, in full now that we've been able to see uh, the finale. I, I'm going to go first. And I'm just going to say that I really felt like the finale was... a. I guess I felt the way about this finale that most of you guys felt about the WandaVision finale, which was that you had a lot of expectation for it and it kind of deflated... Uh, what you had hoped was going to happen. I, it, everything about the finale to me felt really disjointed from everything. I honestly thought that like I'd missed an episode from where yes. it began and where the, the one, the previous one left off because, and Kevin, you talked about in the interview, how great that cliffhanger was of him opening up the case. And then the next episode begins and like, it's like we've moved right into the GRC. So like, yeah. and then it, it had, I started to realize that, and this is where I'm going to give the show a little bit of credit for the the amount of things that it dove into with, um, you know, the race conversations and Isaiah and how that they potentially uh, experimented on him and abused him. Uh, that's a great the scene, by the, the way. Great yeah, scene. It's a, ter 
terrific scene. Um, and all the stuff about Bucky wanting to resolve, you know, his past eat demons and Sam wrestling with whether he's worthy to take on the Winter Soldier and John Walker uh, and whether he should become the new Captain America and whatever they introduced with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and what they got going on with the Flag Smashers. It's just it's too much. It was too much. And so they couldn't I don't think that they properly resolved everything in a satisfying way. Or are uh, is, is that not their intention? Is it that they are setting stuff up to be paid off in the film? Like, are we looking for a resolution that they never intended to give us? I don't know, because I don't think the Marvel TV shows should work that way. I think that they need to be their own little contained thing. I um, agree. I, I think but, the But see, movies... on the flip side, then, I want, I, I want them to have a significance in the feature films, because otherwise I feel like you could potentially kind of just skip them. See, I think it gets a little messy if we're if you're dealing in TV and movies at the same time for an, a, 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 a complete narrative structure. Because I, I do know I mean, we obviously we both know all three of us know four of us know that the um, the show exists in the MCU. It just it's just like if you look at like a long timeline of the MCU, this is like a little blip, no pun intended. It's like a little tiny little because it doesn't really do anything crazy narratively, I feel um, that couldn't have been done in the first like 20 minutes of a new movie. You know, do you know what I mean? Like they mm -hmm. could have literally set yeah. cause they are cause cause Evans already gave Mackie the shield. Mm -hmm. We already knew he felt conflicted about it at the end of Endgame. The entirety of this series is about the conflicted feeling of becoming Captain America. Right. I mean, in the sense of like, like, but like, but the diving into the, the, the serious themes, that's the most interesting part about it. Right. Is, dealing with how the Avengers make money and, and all those kind of things. And, and then the race element was a, was a very powerful uh, element in the show. And Jacob's talking about the scene with the uh, police officer. So it's like, there's, there's interesting things here. I just genuinely, I don't know what I learned about Bucky and Sam that I didn't know by the end of Endgame that couldn't have been narratively or emotionally explained to me at the beginning of another Avengers or Captain America That's movie. kind of how I felt about WandaVision too. Like, like, what, what did we leave? Does that make that, sense? To, like, like, no, I, I, I get you, but I, and I, I feel the same way about WandaVision. We're like, we left that series knowing that she's sad. Like, I, I assume she was sad. Right. Like, I, yeah. I got it. Yeah. And, and yeah, you could squeeze the like that could have been the that could have been the top of Doctor Strange too. You could have just squeezed that in. And I, I, I have, I'm, I'm all in on the mm -hmm. whole idea of kind of exploring these characters a little deeper. I don't know that the show gave me anything new. I mean, Sean, did the show give you anything new that you didn't already know about Mackie or about Bucky and, 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 uh, and Sam? No, not about those two, but what I sort of applaud the show for doing, but then it didn't do enough of it was I never thought much about the impact of half the world's population leaving and then half the world's population coming back five years later. Like the Endgame gave us a that, little bit of that. Right, but that has to be a much bigger conversation than True. just, oh, they were gone and now they're back. Like these conversations that the show kind of got into in terms of, well, no, we're going to redraw some borders and we're going to repatriate and move people around because if you came back and someone was in your house, they now have claim to your house, yeah. you know? And I think see, that these I, are I really... I wish they dived more into that, though. To That's what I'm like, saying. I think yeah, it, yeah. it's super bold that, that they're even thinking about things like mm -hmm. that because in a superhero movie, normally they just gloss over it. Yeah. See, um, I think you I, I think you take the Zemo storyline out and dive more into deeper into that. Oh, I've maybe. Yes, Gabe. 
Do you so, uh, on that note? Do you think that the post blip element of humanity of like the greater world is going to be a part of the MCU moving forward, or do you think this was their way of like let's address it here and then in the movies we kind of just want to have a regular Earth? That's like that was a mm-hmm. thing that happened. Interesting. I was gonna say to to, to that to Gabe's point, uh, there is a, a great reporter here in Chicago, a guy named Brandon Pope, um, and he pitched an idea for Black Panther two that I thought was fascinating. Um, obviously, they're in the situation where they no longer have the great Chadwick Boseman. What if Black Panther 2 took place during those five years within the blip and he's gone? And sort of the focus of the movie is like them trying to deal with the fact that he's not here anymore. And then something happens in Wakanda. Like That's how do you? Which like I just thought like, as soon as I read that, I went, yeah, damn, yeah. like that's. That- kind of i mean eventually they're going to have to yes. like it's going to have to yeah. be addressed and so that you're it's kind almost of just like pushing yeah, back putting the it off yeah yeah but that yeah. is kind of a fascinating idea it's a great idea yeah great i concept. would love to know what happened in wakanda over those five years mm-hmm. now that could be a good series i was gonna say that could be a good show oh, God, <laughs> yeah. I, I, i'd oh. watch the shit out of that and they are doing a wakanda series and there's no oh, real they details are. they are doing i don't know why my voice got so high right there but, but they, <laughs> they they are Yes, yeah. they are. And that's a great, yeah, that's a terrific idea. Just so. I'll say, um, as much as, so with with WandaVision and, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, for me, the biggest issues I, I had, and I know every movie and show has exposition, but some of the exposition and reminders of MCU storylines, just it just felt very, very kind of like on the nose. It was almost forced uh, onto the audience. I, I feel like they need to trust that the audience is smarter than that, that we know uh, the larger scope of the story. At the same time, I also understand you probably are bringing in new viewers, but I mean, when you're that deep into the MCU, are you watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier if you haven't seen? Probably if you not. haven't seen, I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like those characters are so specific. I'm remind you right now though, when we were watching the Snyder Cut, Michelle asked me if Spider-Man is in it. So I just want you to know. Yeah, but okay, but here's <laughs> it. Would she have watched the Snyder Cut if it hadn't been for you? Oh, right. no. No, 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 no. Not right. at all. I know we got to wrap up. Let I'm me say one back. more thing. I, I, I want to give Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Russell uh, credit. I thought okay. that mm-hmm. arc, that uh, whole arc of his of his character and kind of what happens to him, to me, that was the most interesting part of the show. Okay. Like that mm-hmm. that battle of taking on that shield and kind of what it meant and what it, and, and people not liking him for it. Remember that last, that monologue that uh, Mackie delivers at the end of the final episode where he's on mm-hmm. television being interviewed and like that, that those conversations and themes were all really interesting to me. And I thought that Walker, Wyatt Russell's character was a really interesting kind of like in between, between Evans and Mackie taking the shield. Eventually. I thought that was a really cool thing. I don't know. I thought that that part of the show I really liked, which do you guys like more WandaVision or Falcon? I, I think I'm going to swing. At first, initially, I thought uh, Falcon, but I think I'm going to swing back over to WandaVision because even though I didn't like where it ended up, I really liked the big swings it took at the beginning. And while it didn't, and, and, and while Falcon may not have had like the ups and, you know, it, it, was, it was just a little too consistent, consistently meh. The whole mm-hmm. way through, as opposed to you were loving it. You were texting us and telling us you were loving Falcon. I, I was t- really, I was really like sort of digging kind of the straightforward Marvel action, mm-hmm. but then there was nothing more yeah. to it than that. Like and, mm-hmm. and and you know and and she she brought up a point. Now we're gonna go. I'm just gonna wrap this up really quick. She brought up a point in that interview that actually kind of makes me like the finale less, which is they didn't necessarily know where the beats to each episode were gonna end. And you know, episode five is sort of a 
kind of a long aside from the first the first few minutes kind of actionless episode mm-hmm. it's kind of and then episode six is nothing but action just thrown so like they didn't like why didn't they kind of find a way to blend the two like they didn't have to be like they clearly like didn't have could've to taken be out a, a you could have taken out a, a a crab boil you know a few a few less minutes in new orleans working on the boat yeah i did like and, some uh, I, I liked a lot of the boat stuff to be honest see with you. i i think the boat stuff's interesting but it was too much yeah like, like, like there was like, uh, and, and it's interesting because I like the theme of meeting the family members and understanding the life outside of the yeah. Avengers. I, but then there were moments where I felt like they, they, they would, they would stay on one story for a little too long. And, but the so, action in the show was decent. Actually, so which one, Kev? Cool. Wando or Falcon? See, I, I still think the best thing I've seen out of any Marvel series so far are the first three episodes of WandaVision. Okay, now you got to remember, in terms of like the MCU, this is like Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. They are still figuring these shows out, right? I like, like the Incredible Hulk. Okay, fine. You're the one. Uh, congratulations. I can't be the only one. I cannot on be the only one that likes the Incredible Hulk. Uh, Iron it's Man fine. 1 was a home run. Yeah, no, it's good. I know. Uh, but but no, but this. if you go back, his point though is if you go back and watch Iron Man, it is a very basic it's superhero awesome. story compared to where they are now, I think is Sean's point. I think Iron yeah. Man 1 is a really good 7 out of 10. It's great. Oh, I it's really love good. Iron Man. You can one, love man. Iron Man, but it's still not Captain it's, America Civil it's War. A, it's an origin <laughs> yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, an, it's an origin. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, let's get to the final thoughts on the Oscars ceremony. Um, The only reason why I can't call this the worst Oscars I've ever watched um, in my entire career of watching the Academy Awards is because I I still think the Anne Hathaway, James Franco one uh, is the worst thing I've ever seen. But that was a fun train wreck to watch. This was a (laughs) boring train wreck to watch. Yeah. Yeah, because every time they would cut back to them, you would you would just be waiting to yeah. see so, how. So Jake, would you say instead of a be, train yeah. wreck, it was more like you were trying to watch the miles long that it takes for a train to stop? That's you exactly were just watching right. The train stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was you, you just, could say it was the Pineapple Express. Yeah. This was a misfire uh, on every level. And listen, it's been um, dissected left and right, um, but yeah, boring is the word for it. Like I yep. can't comprehend. And all four of us are 
we are the target audience for this show. Like we are the, I totally get why the majority of mainstream people, if you dialed into that thing for 10 minutes that you ran for the hills, yeah. which is why the ratings were so terrible, but it was so overly important. You know, it was so in, in this effort to capture like why we love the movies, like it didn't convey passion for the movies at all. I didn't care for any of those individual stories, you know, about, I hated that instead of the montage clips, they had those descriptions about the yeah. nominees like, None like of that show the earnest. average person why they should seek these movies out like the biggest right. complaint this year is oh i don't know any of the movies give them clips to make them want to seek out the movies like show those quote-unquote oscar moments like like no average viewer that watched the oscars walked away with any more knowledge of these movies than they had going in i have a theory i don't think they i, I think they knew the ratings were gonna be bad no matter what they did. Mm-hmm. I think they just literally put on a show that that celebrated the 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 people behind the scenes and the people making the films. That's why they told those stories. I think the reason they did that is because, first of all, the year for the, the movies wasn't a huge year for, for Oscar films. Like there was sure. not a lot of films that people had mm-hmm. seen. You know, Nomadland didn't make a ton of money. Um, so I think at the end of the day, in my opinion, I think Soderbergh, and this is just my personal opinion, I don't know this for, for, for sure, but I genuinely believe that he just said, you know what, we're going to put the show on and celebrate movies and celebrate the people who make them and the people who are going to tune in are the, are the people who actually watched the films this year and care about this uh, stuff in a, in a very intimate way versus right. like an average viewer. I really do feel that way. I, well, I then, think that well, show, Why didn't we connect with it then? Because we... I, I'm not saying it worked. I'm yeah. saying that that was the yeah. thought process. I mean, I, so, I, you, know, I, I, Soder, you know, we wanted Ocean's 11 from Soderbergh and instead he gave us Ocean's 12. Well, somebody said, but and I, I kind of 12. agree with this. I do love 12. Um, someone said that because they kind of knew that nobody was going to pay attention to this one because the slate of movies was not yeah. interesting, that this was their year to try a bunch of things right. to see if they work or don't work. Well, I'm right? glad they got it, them out of their system. I, I yeah. genuinely believe that they went into that show knowing the ratings were going to be bad no matter yeah. what and just did it the way they wanted to do it. I mean, I will I will give uh, Soderbergh credit and the producers credit. Uh, the one in the beginning with Regina King I was amazing. That. I was like, excited. Like, like in that moment, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm in. Let's do like yeah, the Ocean's Eleven music playing. Like it was great. I was in. Wonder. Um, I also like the aspect ratio. I also like that it was shown in widescreen. Dude, um, if the, the aspect ratio of the show is the second best thing you're saying happened, <laughs> you know it's a bad show. But but no, no I no, like no. the different locations too. I liked the new location. I thought there that was, was pretty cool to shake it up a little bit. But it's too there small. Things... It can't be that way moving forward. No, I know. Yeah. But I, I I really appreciated watching the show. It was like two three five, which is like a, a like a widescreen that most films use two three nine two three five. And it just looked cinematic. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm like digging the intro. The water's cool. This is going to be awesome. And I mean, we don't even, I mean, I know we're not going to get into a full breakdown of this, but we, we can't even like begin to describe how terrible the decision was to move picture. That's exactly before, what I wanted to get into next. Before actor and actress. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think we, do we all feel and agree that they, and they thought, Chadwick Boseman was going to win. I mean, they, they yes. admitted to it. They they admitted yes. that, that they took a gamble and the gamble didn't pay off. But also, but not, not only did you kind of make a mess of that, you also, in a weird way, robbed Nomadland of their yes. moment. Yes, hundred. Do you think the audience, when they were when when uh, here's my question: when they came out to award Best Picture, do you think the uh, the people who were sitting in that room were also surprised they were doing Best Picture? Oh God, then? yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because a lot knew. of times they a lot of times they will release in advance 
the order in which they're going to do the the awards, and they didn't this year. Well, um, there were three different uh, Oscar prognosticators, and I know Kyle Buchanan, who I think is at New York Times now, was one of them, and I forget who the other two were. When when director got announced as early as it did, they tweeted, "I've heard this isn't the only change." Uh, made for the evening like stay tuned kind of thing so somehow that news was out yeah uh, and was Ooh. making the rounds that at least the oscar folks who track it on social media were commenting that early in the show but yeah that so you're 100 percent right that it robbed nomadland of their ability to like that's the best picture they should be the ones on the stage at the end yes. of the show also uh, they were there yeah <laughs> Like, and, and like, it would have like, removed yes, the, the sting the, a little bit of Hopkins not being there, and kind of. I mean, right. like the show just ended on such a like a oof, like it. The show it literally ended on Joaquin going, "We accept this award on his behalf." Did you see there was like? I mean, again, the, the, whatever you read on the internet, you don't know if it's true or not. Did you see this was a rumor that Olivia Coleman was supposed to accept the award Except for, for Hopkins. him? I heard that. Yeah. Was that confirmed? Oh, I didn't see that. I heard that also. I'm not sure if it was confirmed, but if that's the case, I wonder why it didn't happen. Because so Joaquin cut was she on the... her way to the to the well, to get to give clarity know. so that we this is just based on some tweets we saw on Twitter where it just said there was a rumor that Olivia Coleman was initially going to accept the award, but then I also I also saw conflicting stories that she was only there for a brief period of time just for her um just for her, her specific category. nomination yeah. and she was filming something. So uh, this is nothing against Olivia Coleman. We just read this um in a tweet, but I don't know because because it would explain the abrupt ending because theoretically if Olivia, if Olivia Coleman was going to accept the award for him, Joaquin would have. Uh, I guess she would have came up and they would have said accepting on his behalf yeah, yeah, is yeah. Olivia Coleman. But he, some people were saying Joaquin ended it abruptly because he was upset about the, the win. I'm like, that's just rumor. Those, those, no, no, no. People no, are so crazy the about like the theories. That's, and, I mean, that's almost in the yeah. ballpark of everyone saying that Jack Palance messed up best supporting actress and it wasn't supposed to go to Marissa Tomei. Like that's right. And if anything, in a weird way, that moment and also the, the La La Land Moonlight thing, also shows that they do not know in advance who is going to win. Right. They just don't like it, which is kind of reassuring. And also that the only people that do know are Price. What is it? Price Waterhouse. 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 Yeah. yeah. And they're the only ones that know. Like the Academy Award producers. I mean, I think they take gambles sometimes. You know, like uh, where I think they had Riz Ahmed, and it just worked out that the Oscar he was that he gave. I think it was Sound, sound of Music. Was, was, was Sound of Metal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sound of Metal. But then sometimes it backfires because I don't know if you knew that when Shakespeare in Love was given Best Picture, the person that was presenting it was Harrison Ford. And it was clearly (laughs) meant to be like they thought it was going to be Saving Private Ryan. And it was supposed to be Harrison Ford handing off the Oscar to Steven Spielberg. And it backfired. Uh, Michael Douglas gave Best Picture to Gladiator when they must have thought it was going to go to traffic. So they take these gambles sometimes with a presenter when it works, you know, and when it works out like Sam Jackson giving it to Spike Lee, it's awesome. But a lot of times it doesn't work out for him. Let's also celebrate uh, the great Joaquin Phoenix who came out on stage in an evening (laughs) where they had to give these long speeches about each of the people. And he essentially (laughs) said, yeah, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And also, did you find it weird that they didn't do the swap, like the actor for actress and actress for actor? That was a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little strange. The whole evening was strange. Yeah. Everything about it. All the decisions that they made for that show made no sense that none of them made any sense and it's really hard to justify uh before we go i want to get off of uh i want to get back onto uh best actress so we all went carrie uh and we were talking about that the one who might disrupt is viola Mm -hmm. 
How do you guys feel about Francis McDormand winning? I, I gotta be honest, I was a little disappointed. It was just sort okay. of like, like like her third one, like again, like her third one, like it's almost it's almost into like the whole Meryl Streep thing, where it's just sort of like real. Like I I, I really wish we lived in a world. Honestly, I would have rather Viola gotten her second one than Francis um, gotten her third. Francis plays Lady Macbeth in a uh, Joel Cohen movie. Jesus, this, this she can't year. win four. She can't <laughs> win four. This coming year. And dude, there, I forgot about this. There was a quote whenever she won the SAG for three billboards. Mm-hmm. In that acceptance speech, she basically says, "Stop giving me awards." Like she says, she "Like really hey, this is great, <laughs> but there are a lot of young actors who also want doorstops as well. So let's not forget them." She's yeah, basically fine. begging people well, and she, to stop she, giving her awards. And she didn't campaign this year. She did not no. at all. She didn't do the junket. She didn't do anything. Nope. So does at anyone do that time, moving forward? <laughs> at the same time, she's phenomenal in that movie. She's amazing. But she, she's not. She's not as good as Viola or or uh, Carrie. No, I, I'd argue she is. I mean, I'd, I'd argue that she is. She's the. Well, I mean, Chloe's contributions obviously are significant, but like Francis is the movie. I think Carrie Mulligan's the movie. She is. She is. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie is the promising young woman. I don't I, think Francis was the nomad land. She was the nomad. <laughs> She's not the nomad land. To, to her credit, to Francis McDormand's credit, I need to learn more about the behind the scenes making of nomad land. A lot of this is based on what it seems I'll like. I'll send you did. my interview with Chloe Zhao. Thank you. Um, but to her credit, I think she had a real, like, almost. Um, Borat kind of sense to her performance where there's a lot of stuff where it seems like she's just in character mm-hmm. and she's just interacting with these real life yeah. people and she's just kind of within her character kind of knowing what the story needs like she's like there's a scene where like someone's showing her tattoos that's clearly a real person and not an actor but it doesn't really break you from the story and she's just kind of fascinated by her tattoos and, and in character and there's a lot of that throughout so I do think her performance mm-hmm. is phenomenal i agree with, with all that. of that and I, and I don't mean to to, to knock her performance because clearly she's fantastic in the film yeah i think there was just a moment of like like again seriously but yeah, I agree. In, the, in the same way that like meryl streep is always fantastic but if she wins again it's just gonna be like carrie like mulligan would have been a great Listen, a great mm-hmm. winner mcdormand is very is very very good in nomadland there's no arguing there um but i just think carrie mulligan's performance uh, that film just destroyed me i don't know it was an incredible film but it was also a film that i that i loved it was insanely weirdly entertaining but also a completely horrific um and just an amazing soundtrack uh, i would do want to say one thing I, I i watched the father recently and i got i mean i know sean you haven't seen it yet right no, i'd like to um, very soon yes this i was genuinely blown away i still believe that chadwick boseman should have won the oscar but I should have won the Oscar. But Hopkins' performance is incredible. Though I will say, when I walked away from that film, the highlight for me was the direction and the mm-hmm. editing and the writing. Uh, and then Hopkins is just another great piece of that puzzle. And it's, 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 I have never been that immersed in that world more. I, I, I now have a better understanding in my mind of, of the confusion. Not that, not, not to the level of that, of course, but the film makes you understand the person better from their perspective when they're going through something like that. It's pretty right, well, wild. Let's, let's understand how uh, cruel Jake Hamilton can be uh, <laughs> by letting him uh, pick which movies that Kevin and I are going to win because for people who listened to last week's episode, uh, we wagered yet again that the winner who got, or the person who got the most Oscar picks correct would get to pick movies for the other two uh, to watch. And Jake beat us. 17 to 15 kevin and i both tied at 15 
just a few significant categories that's that ended up splitting the winner. So my Mr. octopus Hamilton, teacher, baby, my octopus Mr. teacher, Mr. Hamilton, the floor is yours. Uh, okay. So two years in a row, I plan on going for the three peat uh, next year. Um, I'm I'm very excited about this actually, and because because these are not um this this is not I I didn't want to go in the direction of human centipede because we've been there we've done that I didn't want to do um I didn't want to make this horrible for you grotesque exactly so Sean you will be watching one of my favorite films of all time oh you will be watching the extended edition of Lord of the Rings the Fellowship of the Ring oh Oh, god that's great can I I have that no oh no no you will be watching and now I emphasize the extended edition Oh, how long is that? How long is that? It's funny you mention that because that brings up that brings up my next point. The extended (laughs) edition of the Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring is three hours forty eight minutes long. Oh my god! And the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to make that equitable for Kevin's uh, uh, quote unquote punishment. (laughs) And I I hate that I even have to make this a punishment, but three hours forty eight minutes is equitable to about seven episodes of television. Kevin, oh, you will be watching the next seven episodes of Lost. I want you to figure out. I want you to figure out where you are on the show, and I want I you to tell numbers. me tell me where you're at, and then right. watch. Force yourself by next week to watch the next seven. That's and, ridiculous. And I, because I'll, I'll Lost is a good television show, and Lord, Lord of the Rings, Rings is, a is one of the greatest movies ever made. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm you're, calling bullshit on that because I'm going to say thank you to Jake because. I appreciate that. No, no, that's a good one. I'll tell you what, Sean, next year when you win, you can call all the bullshit you want. That's awful. That's That's not awful. I'm actually jealous of your assignment. Seven episodes through, Kevin, I want you to tell me the episode that's seven because I want to know where you're ending off. I will tell you the last episode of Lost that I watched was Numbers. Okay, cool. So I I need. You know what I might do? I might rewatch Numbers because it was an amazing episode. Sure. And then the and next then, seven. So, then, so really, in theory, if we, you know, depending on, you know, what if we, you got like five or six days till we record our next episode, so I, you got to watch it by then. I have to watch that and Gladiator too. And the, you and had remember, a week to watch Gladiator. That's on you, but, O'Connell. But remember, and, the TNT version is three hours long. So I have the Seafy. It's the Seafy version. <laughs> oh, the Seafy. That's right. In, in Jake's defense, so Jake, uh, Jake and I uh, made a thing a long time ago before I knew really how many episodes Lost was that I was going to watch. <laughs> I was going to watch all of Lost, and he was going to watch Better Call Saul. Um, but I think I think Jake's being sneaky here because I think he knows that after I finish the seventh episode that I'm going to want to keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's fine. I will. Is the uh, extended edition on HBO Max? Do you know? I think so, actually. Because I might have sold my copy. Well, that sounds like a personal problem. Well, I see. Yes. I, I see they're doing a big pay mar- rent it. They're doing a marathon on TBS this weekend. If you want to watch it oh, over terrific. a six-hour yeah. period. There yeah. we go. It's in. All right. All right. Let's get to us. Also, uh, one of the things that debuted during the Oscars, probably the highlight of the entire Oscar ceremony, was a commercial break that showed uh, no. the teaser trailer for uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, I thought that this looked phenomenal. Uh, someone commented, I can't, I forget who it is, I'd like to give them credit for it, that the way that uh, Janos Kaminsky, uh, the cinematographer that Spielberg works with frequently, the way that he uses uh, to like flood his sets with natural light, mm-hmm. 
seems to speak really well to the way that West Side Story can look or should Mm -hmm. look. Um, I think Spielberg seems to have just stepped back in time, you know, and I I do really wonder, having watched the original West Side Story, which feels very much like a 1950s film, how he's going to make it feel somewhat contemporary because it's all about things like street gangs and their relationship with the cops and like, yeah, yeah, it can be dated and cheesy. So how is he going to update it? But the cast looks great. Uh, It's a very quick tease and I look forward to learning more about it. Uh, What did you guys think? Kev, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was more of a visual experience than uh, narrative character or emotion. Now, it's a short teaser. So at the end of the day, did I walk away from it thinking, oh my God, I cannot wait to watch that from a story standpoint? No, I I didn't get a good sense of... I mean, I've seen West Side Story, but it's been years. Um, I just didn't get a sense of the scope of it. I got, I just got a bunch of beautiful images put together. I mean, there's a shot that we can all agree on where the, the two, two sides are walking with the shadows, and it's a brilliant shot. I am curious how practical that was, actually, because it looked like a, like a wide-angle fish lens uh, almost. It was pretty wicked. But, like, Kaminsky is one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. Um, and everything he's done, the natural light you're talking about, I always love that. Um, if you watch, uh, uh, I don't know why I think about Bridge of Spies specifically, when they're in a room mm-hmm. and it's just like the windows of light that's just pouring in, it's almost oversaturated a little bit. And yeah. I, I love the way he, and I, I'm assuming he shot on film for this. I have to double, double check it, but I would imagine he did because um, he usually shoots 35 and I shot, you know. So he, I, yeah, I'm, I'm into it because it's Spielberg and because it's Kaminsky. That being said, narratively, character-wise, I didn't feel like I learned anything. I think that they must think it's a home run because, you know, they didn't go from last December to, like, April. They went from one award season to the next award season. They got got something. And also keep in mind, you have to remember, Spielberg has been trying to make this movie since the the late 80s. He's been trying to to acquire the rights and, like, get this. He he has been pushing to make this. I honestly think even even within that short teaser – I, I thought I was blown away because I thought there were a lot of elements that were classic Spielberg where I thought, oh, there's that's my boy. There he is. And there were also moments where I thought, ooh, I feel like I've never seen him do anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really loved his mix of both muted colors and also really, really bright colors. I, I think that shot of the two gangs walking uh, toward each other with their shadows like crossing over his names. I, I'm curious as to what that's going to look like on the big screen, but I just thought I was blown away by that single shot. That could very quickly climb the tiers of uh, of my favorite Spielberg shots ever, and I think the casting is going to be absolutely incredible. I, I um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, Rachel Ziegler, who plays Maria, is is going is to knock it out of the park. I think she is probably going to be kind of the next big star that we're seeing uh, blow up. She was just cast in Shazam two, um, yeah. And I, I think she's going to be fantastic. There are three and, musicals. It's it's West Side Story, In the Heights, and one other big one. In the Heights. That are coming uh, between now and the end of the year. Um, I forget what the other one is. Eh, I forget. And, and it is 35 millimeter, by the way. Kaminsky still did he, shooting did he shoot film? Yep, shot film. You double-checked cool. on it? Double-checked right. it. And then cool. Bernstein music. I mean, it's, it's going to be... It's going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be pretty yeah. special. Um, that comes in December. So we'll be talking about West Side Story a number of different times between now and then. Spielberg on Real Blend? Oh my God, stop. Don't even put can that we, out we, there. Can we start the campaign now? I, I'm weirdly already disappointed that it hasn't, that it's not happening, even though like we're not even close to having discussions about it. I know. There's no I'm, way. The, but yeah. The idea of him doing a podcast just feels 
Unnatural. We have an in though. We, I mean, like I think, if we can somehow figure out a situation, yeah, where Tarantino, he doesn't have to mention our podcast, but we know Tarantino right. loves podcasts, doing yeah. podcasts specifically as yeah. press. If he can somehow convince Steven Spielberg that's the the supreme way to talk about movies. We got a shot. God, could you? I, imagine? If that happens, I don't know. No, I can't imagine. I could not imagine. We, However, we, forgot, we, we have to tell him the most important thing. That we really want him on the show. That's true. Oh, we that's haven't tried true. that. Let's yeah. lead with that. Just we haven't that. tried that. That's yet. a good idea. We usually bring that up after. What yeah. studio is West Side Story? Disney. It's Disney. I mean, it's, <laughs> not in, it's not impossible, though. Not impossible. Huh? No, but it's, it's not, not but impossible. It's, yeah. it's not impossible. We've said this about other filmmakers, and we've ended up getting them. So, uh, I listen. It's also worked the other way probably just as many times, though. So Yes, it has. <laughs> I we are grateful for everyone we've had on the show, obviously, but, but Spielberg would be with... insane. There were just, there are also other Blardy, studios that I would feel Blorzezi. much more confident about if it were one of their oh, films. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. No offense to Disney, who sure. we love. Oh, we love Disney. They're we love the Disney. best. Yes, they're fantastic. Have I talked about how much I love my subscription to Disney Plus? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the variety of selections that are available on Disney Plus. The, the real question is, what's going to be my number one series of the year? WandaVision or Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah, how that's all it comes down to. How about Mighty Ducks? Mighty Ducks? Dude, I actually right? like that show. I like that show, dude. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I was just, I was just good. told you. Don't, don't, don't knock the ducks. I, I, uh, I, I was I was driving a, uh, one of my live shots the other day for work and it was like it was like perfect timing and I, I every time I see birds flying they're flying in a flying V the only thing I think about is my ducks that's the first thing I think about you know every, the birds came first right I know that but you have to understand as a kid that's why the that, V is flying <laughs> I know do you do you know you have like very specific memories of things? No, I got just, you. I, was, they I, always I, I, I get latch it. on until yeah. later. That's the oh, that's the first thing I think about every time I see birds flying in a flying V. My ducks. This week in movies, yeah. um, there's that movie Limbo that we had mentioned uh, that uh, the director was on our show and the bonus episode. Um, it, it's I want to say nice things about it. I'm not able to. I wish I could. He was a really nice guy. Super sweet interview. Um, it, it it felt to me so the, it's a story of refugees uh, in Scotland who have come from all different places around the world who are hoping to get into England um, and through various reasons, their visas and their ability to get um, the, the work permits and, and the, to make the next step uh, in their lives. They, they've left their homelands, but they cannot get to England. So they're in limbo, essentially, and they're at a refugee camp. But it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. And the only thing I can say is when you get a, a first time filmmaker or an early filmmaker who has clearly been influenced by the likes of a Wes Anderson, and I'm going to stop just at Wes Anderson because this feels like it's just trying to become the next Wes Anderson, that you just sit there the whole time watching it thinking like, mm, I'd like to see another Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily enjoying this. Like the 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 pattern of the humor, the, the beats of the way that visual jokes play out. Um it just felt like a lesser, a lesser Wes Anderson. So that's where I'm leaving you guys with Limbo. Uh, it's in limited theaters. And um, yeah, I don't. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. But I, what I couldn't admit, I couldn't believe it was nominated for two BAFTAs, including like best, you know, British film of the year kind of thing. So I don't know, maybe they know more about refugees than I do over that way. Um, there's a movie called Separation coming out this week, which I don't know a whole lot about. A movie called Things Heard and Seen, which is going to Netflix, and Jake has seen that one. I have seen that. Um, this is a very... Did you hear it too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, a very 
boring, <laughs> bland, kind of gothic horror hey, film. Two for um, two this it's, week. Uh, yeah, it's a, a, a without giving too much away, though, it doesn't take long to kind of figure out the direction this movie's going in. Uh, a, a married couple with a kid, they move into this uh, old farmhouse out in the middle of the woods because the, 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 the husband's going to write the next great American novel and he's going to be this college professor and... It's one of those houses where everyone in the in the town kind of knows something happened in that house, and the wife kind of starts getting f- vibed that something happened in that house, and it's got a it, you know, that sounds really original. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then you know things kind of like it, you know, the husband kind of starts the, the the house has a history of doing something to the to husbands, mm. which uh, which you know it's there were moments where I was like, oh, you're doing you're doing that from that film, and you're doing that from that film. It's it's mm. it's a if anything, it's just a wonderful collection of movies that did it better and uh you know it, it just keeps going and it's there was a moment where i thought and i'll end it here like oh like I, we got to be like wrapping up this is this is this is near this is near the end of the film and so i kind of did my little thing on my apple tv to see how much longer i had left had an hour left <laughs> and i just went well i'm gonna finish this tomorrow you hadn't um, seen everything yet, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no. yes, All the things were not seen and heard. Uh, it's, it's very bland. It's very generic. And it is uh, the ultimate skippable film. Do you know, that has happened to me a number of times on films where I legitimately feel like we're reaching the conclusion and I'll hit pause and there'll be like an hour left to go. And then I become morbidly curious of like, yeah, and then much, you're like, okay, what, something has to happen. <laughs> right? How can we have an and then, hour and then, left And then, spoiler alert, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Yeah, nothing ever happens. <laughs> we'll be like that. Uh, please tell me that we're going to improve this segment with uh, without remorse. The Michael B. Jordan, Tom Clancy film that is coming to Amazon Prime Video. Kev, go ahead. Um... Yeah, the script is really bad for this one, unfortunately. Um, but the Jeez. action is kind of cool. I mean, I th- listen, I love Michael B. Jordan. Uh, one of the best actors working today. Everything he does is gen- generally very, very good. Um, okay. This is, I don't know. I, I Jake, I don't know. I, to me, it was forgettable. I, I do want to give credit to the practical effects. They did some insane action scenes in this film, like the plane crash scene. They had they really did that with a water tank, and and they also also the scene where he walks into a fiery car that was actually real. They did a lot of practical effects, and you can actually feel it when you watch the film. Um, the story isn't good, and the script is terrible. So That's it's a shame, it's, just, it's a Tom it is also not based, but it's not like. There's a Tom Clancy novel called Without Remorse, but this right. is not it. If you look to see what that book's about, and That's then weird. you see the plot, like there, they could not be more different. Like no, they took the title, weird. they took the I mean, title, and that's it. Speaking of unoriginal, it's basically, I mean, a guy's wife gets killed, and he goes on a revenge rampage, essentially to find the people who did it. Okay, Jake, and also, is that? But no, he's a soldier. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And then also, they they do something that really kind of in a weird way. Uh, disgusted me in the in the first act of the film, and I don't I don't think that this is uh, a spoiler because it's in it's in the trailer. Um, but Michael B. Jordan's family is you know his, his wife is is pregnant mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film, and they really 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 drive home she is pregnant, she is with mm-hmm. child, they are going to have a baby, uh, and then people break into their home and murder her, and mm-hmm. like her blood is all over the the bedroom and all over the 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 just the bed. The sheets and, it, it, and he's like screaming. So, yeah, he's screaming because he's that's in the trailer. It. They actually show that yeah. in the trailer. <sighs> but like the fact that like, and and look, this is uh, you know I don't make movies, so who am I to, to, to? But like the fact that she had to be like, why did she have to be pregnant? 
Yeah. Like, and why did you have to drive that home so hard to make that scene like feel like you don't think we, I would have felt right. that? Right, like, right, well, right. It, it, felt, it, felt, it felt gross. It's it felt more really tragic. Gross. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's always it's always they always have to go over the top to make you understand the revenge. Not not mm. not that not that killing his wife wouldn't be enough, but there was like it's almost like in John Wick, like why kill the dog, and that's that that becomes the entire trigger. Um, for him, for going out, for, do, for doing the revenge, I'm not, I'm not likening a at dog least in John, to in John Wick though. That felt yeah. clever in a way because it's kind of a movie trope, but right. it's never really been used as like the revenge True. story, like because it, it, it yeah. didn't harp on it. It wasn't necessarily just about revenge, uh, avenging a dog, but it was, and that was kind of fun. There's yeah, a difference. Yeah, and that was, but that was the thing that put him over the top was the dog. Uh, and again, not comparing John Wick to Without Remorse, just the idea of to answer Jake's question, it's more about like what can they do that's so bad that's going to make you root for this guy to go out and kill a bunch of people. I mean, that's kind of like the character. I mean, but mm. Michael B. Jordan, he's great in it. I mean, there's no nothing. He doesn't. It's nothing to do with him. It's just a bad script, and it's just not a great story. I mean. Jake, the action's cool. I thought that yeah, the po- action's cool, but also keep in mind, like, was awesome. I was also watching it at home, and I was watching, you know, it's just, but, and also by that point, yeah. everything else just felt so generic that I had a hard yeah. time getting hyped for the action, you know, like, yeah. action, yeah. you know, the, the quieter scenes should make the louder scenes better, like, the, the loud scenes no. should not make up for bad, quiet scenes, and I just thought, like, just, and, 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 and all that, and you're right, the action was great until someone spoke. And then yeah. it's just like, God, this script was so yeah. unbearably bad. And, and both Jamie Bell and Michael B. Jordan are good actors, and they could not sell those lines. They couldn't sell them. Yeah. I do. Okay. I love Jodie Turner Smith, and I think she's awesome, and she's great in it. Um, and she's also great in Queen and Slim. If you haven't seen Queen and Slim, highly recommend that one. Cool, cool. Uh, also coming to theaters uh, for a uh, limited theaters for I think just a one week run. Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim versus the World, celebrating its tenth anniversary. That is a comedy that if you go back and look through it, the cast is just littered with people who were on the precipice of blowing up. Uh, So this is a good opportunity to go back and revisit it. It is also going to feed us into this week's blend game, which is hashtag Edgar Wright blend. And for various reasons, I will start with Jake Hamilton. Uh, my pick is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Hey! I, I, hey. It's, it's funny how that works out. Look, there is not a, an Edgar Wright film that I dislike. I, I love, you know, so this was, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches when you consider the fact that, like, the, the film of it, like, uh, in his filmography that I like the least, I still really like, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but there's something about Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Everything about it is so smart and so clever. The screenplay is just every line is brilliant it's brilliant line after like so much so there are so many funny jokes that almost get lost because you're still thinking about how clever the last line was so that the next person's great line is you know it's also a great tribute to old school video games it's a great tribute to sort of the structure the 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 entire final act revolves around that idea of what we all used to do as kids which is uh get to the big boss in a video game get our ass kicked get knocked back a few levels realize what we need to do blow through a couple of levels to get back to the big boss again like that the, <laughs> the idea that that's this final act of a film um and also i genuinely believe this the editing of that film is some of the best editing i've ever seen in any movie period how how you look at that movie and don't want to nominate that for editing i mean like i i would pull a kevin mccarthy and say that the movie didn't get nominated for editing just because of what kind of movie it is like the yeah. editing is genius it's it's it, the editing in a weird way, is a character in, in and of itself. Uh, and I've, I've watched the movie. I probably watch it about once a year. 
everything about it is is in every person is amazing. Whether it's it's Michael Sarah in a in a top role or someone like Brie Larson or you know who kind of shows up you know in a minor role or Anna Kendrick who shows up in a minor role. Everyone gets a moment where they're the best part of the movie, and uh, and it's just everything about it is so concise and tight. It moves and I, I, it just makes me I just, I love that movie to pieces. I'm gonna go next because I want to build off a point that you bring up, which is. I think Edgar Wright has gotten better as a filmmaker, but I think he's always been a tremendous editor. Mm-hmm. Like his comedies uh, are, they thrive on the fact that he edits them together the way that he does. Agreed. And, and I'm picking hot fuzz uh, as my pick because um, a, I love the types of movies that it sends up. I genuinely I also love hot those fuzz movies. so we can do a mutual t- discussion. Oh, team. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Kevin and I both love the types of movies that that, that, that film sends up repeatedly. The, the films that Nick Frost adores uh and that he finds himself in the middle of bad boys the rock like him rattling off all the movies that he loves i was like yeah i like all those movies too but that movie and i (laughs) rewatched the first 15 minutes of it uh just to remind myself the editing is so on point that like from the first few minutes you realize like oh we're in for something really special here right like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are so perfect for Edgar Wright like they know what he wants to deliver uh they understand his humor I argue this that there's certain actors who just know Wes Anderson well and do his dialogue better than others do and they get what his joke is supposed to be and those who get what Edgar Wright's joke is supposed to be um I think Hot Fuzz is actually an exciting movie. Uh, when it gets into the police case, the 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 nature of it, Simon Pegg has never been funnier. Um, and you know, with something like Baby Driver, I think he's bringing his editing skills and developing more of the story and the characters. Um, he, I don't think he's going to lose his editing skills, but he's developing more and getting better at being a filmmaker and a storyteller. Um, but those early bits of his are so visually exciting and uh and hot fuzz is, is a total blast like if you were gonna, if you wanted me to introduce someone to edgar wright that's the one i would put on and say like this is the type of a film that he delivers kev what what you what are your what's your take i mean essentially what you said i mean hot fuzz was it, it spoke to me because the the characters were fans of the movies that i was fans of like bad yeah. bad boys 2 being mentioned like like films that i genuinely Loved. Don't they, they mentioned Bad Boys Two specifically, like the mm-hmm. second one specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. they are like really like that, and that's kind of what was so fun for me. I remember seeing because I loved Shaun of the Dead. And speaking of editing, the way that whole entire film was cut together, but the Cornetto trilogy in general, um, you know, Hot Fuzz. I mean, sorry, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then World's End. I love that whole trilogy, but I think Hot Fuzz is my favorite because it's it's a genuinely good action movie that's paying homage to other action films. So at the yep. same time, like it's not just like two guys running around, like playing with action ideas. They get themselves in really cool action scenes. Like, and like, and when they play <laughs> on the jokes about that, it makes it fun. But I also care for the characters. I also care for their journey. I also care for their story. I'm not just like laughing at it like a parody. It's more of like, an homage, but we're going to tell our own story, but we're going to, we're going to, we know that the audience who's watching this is also a fan of these movies. So we're going to play with that and make you feel like you're part of the world. Um, and I, you know, I love Scott Pilgrim as well, but I, I think hot fuzz for me, that, that Cornetto trilogy is like, that's the Edgar Wright that I know, right? Like, and that I love and baby driver is a phenomenal film. I rewatched it recently. I still don't love the third act with, ham in the garage and everything but it gets over the, the top but it's so good the movie's really good though the first two acts of baby driver are perfect like that one that the simple one mm. of of 
Ansel Elgort walking and then walking back. And all is, the visual and, references in the song. Oh, it, the music. really brilliantly choreographed. Wiper blades on track with, like, you know, obviously the tequila sequence. It's, it's Baby Driver is a hard one not to choose because it's, because in my opinion, I would say from a filmmaking perspective, it's probably the best thing he's ever done from like just pure, I don't know, because then you go back to the old stuff, which is great and it's more raw. But mm. I also love what he's become in Baby Driver. So uh, the one he's doing next is Last Night in Soho yes. with Anya Taylor-Joy. Comes out this which, fall. Which is going to be, I think, is going to be amazing. And, I will... and then he's doing The Running Man. He's remaking yeah. he Running Man. going to crush. Like, that is such a story that could use an update. And I cannot <laughs> sure. wait to see what he does. Like, there are sometimes I think, well, obviously, we see remakes and we think, does this need to exist? Like, it's 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 no better. Like, I genuinely think he's going to take The Running Man and run away with it, no pun intended, and make uh... it, and make it. Uh, honestly, that was not on purpose. Um, and <laughs> and uh, I, I just think he's going to crush. Because as much as I love the Schwarzenegger Running Man, the, the, that source material lends itself to 2021 more so than it does the 1980s. Also, you know, credit to Edgar Wright, who shoots on film, always. Like, that dude always shoots on film. So, poor, again, poor. one of the guys preserving it. I also loved his Grindhouse bit, too. It's a good one. I'm going to pour a little bit out um, for the lost Ant-Man movie that we didn't get. Edgar Wright I in the MCU would have been exciting. like Peyton Reed's movie. I'm not saying anything about Peyton Reed's movie. <laughs> Dude, but I, I but you don't want to see Edgar Wright's version of that story? No question. I feel like yeah. I could tell the Edgar Wright bits. I was gonna say the best parts of that movie are Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, yeah. I would, yeah, I would say that they are. All right, uh, audience picks. Jay, uh, Jim Mintier, Josh the Jays fan went with Scott Pilgrim. Miles, comic book Craig, Jason Clark, and Ray Perkin went with Hot Fuzz. Dave Holmes said Shaun of the Dead. Harry Lichtman and many others chose. Baby Driver for next week's show. Oh, I know why we're doing this, Gabe. Uh, for next week's show, you can reach out on Twitter uh, or you can email us at realblend.assemblyblend.com using the hashtag David or Yellowo Blend. David Ooh. O Yellowo Blend. And really, there's only Kevin, one you can't choice. pick Interstellar. <laughs> you it's can't true, pick Interstellar. Can't. It's true. I can't. I won't pick Interstellar. I mean, I, right. I, he but is, Sean, he is why, great in that scene, we, though. Why are we doing him? Next week? Because we have uh, him as a guest on next week's show. He has a, a movie coming out called The Waterman, which is actually, he uses this term in the interview, and it's a term that I would actually use to describe the film. Uh, it's Spielbergian. And he brings it up saying it's making him super uncomfortable that so many people are coming up to him and describing this movie as Spielbergian because he just doesn't want to hear that. Like, the more that people keep saying that to him, <laughs> ridiculous. I, I, I shouldn't give this away. But this is kind of crazy about David Oyelowo. He was ready to star in this film and they had a young actor because it's a, it's driven largely by a young kid's performance. He was going to play the father. Uh, they had Rosario Dawson playing the mother. Um, they had everything ready to go. And then the director uh, had to leave, had to step away. Like they were literally days away from shooting. Uh, well, not, not days because he thought about it for two weeks. And um, everyone turned to him, turned to David Oyelowo and was like, you got to direct this like it's your turn. And he's never directed. He did a short film. And so he thought on it for two weeks, he said. And then he was like, we have all of the elements here. Um, all right. I'm going to step in and do it. Wow. And, and I thought he, he, knocked he said this to you in the interview. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, all part of the I can't interview. wait to hear that interview. It's going to be really That's good. Cool. So it'll be on next week's episode. All right. For awesome. a review, um, this, this guy, Keith, who listens to the show, sent us a really wonderful email um, about finding motivation and kind of following your passions. And he talked a bit about how um, he's taking up filmmaking again and is working on an a piece of his own 
uh, and credits the show for sort of kicking him down the road for this. So I want to get to his review, but I wanted to set that up a little bit. He says, uh, here's why I wanted to write. He had a long, long email explaining that he's been working on a film. And he says, here's why I wanted to write in and thank you guys. As grateful as I am to have a job that pays me enough to go out and chase my dream and allowed me to keep working through the pandemic. It wasn't an easy year for me personally. Most of my coworkers think I'm an idiot with a dream too big for this world because he wants to be a filmmaker and he works in an office uh, setting where, you know, it's, it doesn't encourage creativity, essentially. Uh, my, most of my coworkers think I'm an idiot with a dream too big for this world. So as a result, I've dealt with a lot of verbal harassment and abuse. I'm the kind of guy who can brush it off. But when you work seven days a week, 12 hour shifts and at night, sometimes it's hard to keep putting on a tough face. I'm kind of like my workplace losers club, my workplace losers club, only I'm the only member. There came a point when I wasn't sure if I'd be able to keep going with the job and just give up and find another job. But then like Gandalf appearing over the hill near the end of two towers, I found your podcast and it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Over the course of this back end of the year, I started listening to your show and it brings me such joy. I laugh, I agree, I disagree, and I find myself verbally responding to things that you guys say to each other or answering a question you don't know the answer to. So in addition to being the guy who thinks he makes movies at work, I'm now the guy who talks to himself, too. I don't mind, though, because I get so much joy listening to your show. It's given me such a lifeline, and it's great to listen to people talk about film as enthusiastically as I do. So I wanted to thank you guys for creating such a fantastic show and for giving me that final push I needed to cross the finish line. I'm quitting in June to prepare to start production. So I tell myself I only have a month to go. I've started listening to your show from episode one and working my way up. So that dude is going out to make a film. Uh, he's That's quitting his awesome. awful job and he's been inspired by our show. So Keith, Godspeed, my friend. Uh, keep your foot to the gas pedal and we look forward to, uh, send us a link. Send us a Vimeo I was link. just about to say, is it, uh, is, is it uh, too presumptuous to say that whenever he's done with the film, we should have him on? Let's see how the let's see how the movie turns out, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. How often do we have directors on for pro- and then trash the project after the interview? Like this episode, like we did. Like we did this episode. No, of course, Keith. If, we, if you if you would uh, like to come on the show, um, contact producer Gabe. Love He's that at, review. Uh, Thank you for sending. To be that fair, in. every week Here's I have to contact number. producer Gabe because to be on the show. <laughs> All right. Uh, next week's premium episode, which you can get to if you subscribe premium. to. Real blend. No wait. Cinemablend.com backslash. I don't have no idea. Uh, We're going to be matching funny movie reviews to the movie that they are about. And you guys do not want to miss that one. Again, you can get access to all of our Real Blend episodes of premium at bit.ly backslash Real Blend premium. Thank you, Gabe. Uh, In the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. We'll be back with a new episode next week, Blenders. Thank you for tuning in. And until then, Larry Spielberg. QB! QB! (laughs) We gotta gotta either quit this bit or or, or, or pick something. We need a Spielberg one. We've been saying we're gonna do a Spielberg one. Lincoln! (laughs) I like Lincoln. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.